Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. From Stephen Mitchell's second book of the Tao, stanza 15. The ancient masters slept without dreaming and woke without concerns. Their food was spare and simple. Their breath went deep. They didn't hold on to life and they faced death free of concepts, emerging without desire, going back without resistance. They never forgot their beginning. They didn't trouble their minds searching for what their end was. They received life as a gift and handed it back gratefully. Minds supple, faces serene in a crisis, cool as autumn, in relationship warm as spring. They were balanced throughout the four seasons and in harmony with the Tao. There was no limit to their freedom. Well, today is the second Sunday of Lent. And during Lent, we're looking at the mechanics that go into the idea of spirituality. Just as an engineer learns math and physics to put his engineering into practice, what is it that we do to put our spirituality into the practice? Not just the warm and fuzzies that we often think about, but the nuts and bolts that go into engaging with the spiritual side of life. Last week I said that uh, we begin, as Thomas Merton suggested, with an intellectual ascent, where the mind gives up to the heart and serves it. The mind serves the heart in its journey of love. That's the starting point. We then have to realize that all consciousness is one entity. There is no duality, but we are all interconnected in an interdependent way. And this then leads us to the understanding that what we do matters because we're connected and that our role is to sense the guiding of the love that's within us so that we can manifest that love around us. We're in that way like a faucet that our intellectual ascent turns on so as to bring love into the world and therefore participate in the evolution of consciousness that's driving creation towards an understanding of the divine nature that is latent in everything. That is the map of the journey into spirituality. Rowan Williams described this as the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. And our sensitivity to the love that's within us and the love that's around us, our ability to vibrate at the same level as that love is the mechanism that we have for that cultivation. It's a 24-7 undertaking. Interesting enough, as well as talking about spirituality, what spirituality or faith was, Thomas Burton also talked about what it was not. 
He says, first of all, faith or spirituality is not an emotion, not a feeling. It's not a blind subconscious urge towards something vaguely supernatural. It's not simply an elemental need in man's spirit. It's not a feeling that God exists. It's not a conviction that one is somehow saved or justified for no special reason except that one happens to feel that way. It's not something entirely interior or subjective with no reference to anything external. He says it's not just soul force. It's not something that bubbles up out of the recesses of your soul and fills you with an inevitable sense that everything is all right. It's not something so purely yours that it is not communicable. It is not some personal myth of your own that you can't share with anyone else and the objective validity of which doesn't matter either to you or God or anybody else. He says it's not an opinion. It's not a conviction based on rational analysis. It's not the fruit of scientific evidence. Faith or spirituality is, first of all, he says, an intellectual assent. And I think that's really useful because so often we see spirituality in those sort of warm and fuzzy terms, an urge or an emotion as some sort of soul force that bubbles up within us. Now, instead, Merton puts us firmly into the driving seat with our, our intellectual ascent being the first step in that journey of 10,000 paces. And throughout this process, we are always in the driving seat because the mechanics of our spirituality are such that the process of cultivating that sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love, that relationship with the unfolding universe within us and around us, is a constant process. It's 24-7. Or, you know, to be exact, it is a process of letting go of time and being prepared to remain in the present moment. It only seems endless continuous 24-7 when we see it in terms of time. When we arrive in the present moment and, and decide to stay with it, then all concepts of time tend to drop away and we realize that we're simply existing in a flowing stream of present love that runs right the way through the center of time. But we don't experience it that way. As we attempt to sense love within us and love around us so that we can be in harmony with everything, we're constantly assailed by our minds that ask us to pay attention to the possibilities of what might happen, to look at outcomes, to look for preemptive attacks. In short, we're urged by our minds to focus on survival. And those attempts at survival, at controlling our lives so that we come out on top, 
constantly bring us into considering what we can do in the time that we have. And so we lose the flow of love that happens in the present moment. And you know, you have to constantly watch out for it. Like in the practice of meditation, where one is looking for the mind to interfere and take attention away from our point of focus. It's the same in life, where we have to constantly watch for the mind trying to take us out of love and put us into survival. We have to constantly give intellectual assent to loving what is. We see the very nature of what is right in front of us. And we have to give a sense to loving that, to sensing that love within us and offering it to what's all around us. And, you know, doing that, all of that, with no expectation of a return, because the definition of love is giving attention or whatever with no expectation of return. And that attention may include circumstances, people, things, we give our intellectual assent to loving, love flowing from us and into all that's around us. And we do not expect anything back. That is the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with all that is. And it flows through us. But then our mind remembers that person that's out to get us or that situation that we have to deal with. And immediately our attention is taken away from loving and it plunges into the process of survival, throwing up feelings and emotions that we have to deal with. We plan, we scheme, we work out what to do. And all the time, we're just in our heads surviving and we miss the moment to love what's right in front of us. In those moments of survival, Time stretches out in front of us and the memory of time appears behind us. And we try to put actions in place that will reconcile what's behind us and what's in front of us. And so we become caught up in temporal mechanics, the attempt to resolve issues in the time-space continuum. It is this paradigm that we feel that makes us feel that time is short and problems seem endless and that we can't see an end to our survival. The way out of this is that intellectual ascent to love, where the mind doesn't go into the survival mode, but stays in the present moment and only asks, how can I love that which is in front of me now? How can I love what is rather than deal with what might be? How can I love what is rather than deal with what might be? And if you think that's hypothetical, watch yourself. See yourself as you go through your day, as you attempt to cultivate that sensitive and rewarding relationship with all that's around you in the present moment as it appears to you. And then suddenly you find yourself taken away from it by your mind as you try and work out some drama that you're dealing with in your life. It happens all the time. It happens to me all the time. And the way out of it is to notice it. 
and to give that intellectual assent to love again, to let go of the mind trying to survive and bring yourself back to the present moment and so give that present moment your love. And if you think that that's not a practical way to live, well, just think about it. What is more practical than giving your full attention to every passing moment of the day and pouring all the love that you can into that passing moment? Or is it more effective to try and live in the past and future as you work out trying to control your circumstances? If you give your loving attention to each moment, you'll always do your best in that moment. And as we say in England, if you look after the pennies, the pounds will look after themselves. If you do your best in every moment that comes your way, you'll build a sure, safe and loving foundation for the future. It's what some people call salvation. If you try and work out how to control circumstances, which everyone knows that anyway we're out of control of our lives, then you end up firefighting the latest drama to come your way. So this cultivation of the relationship with eternal truth and love, this participation in the unfolding of love, this entering into the present moment, and the realization of the unity of all things is the work that we do within the flow of our lives. It is an acknowledgement that life is in fact a meditation and that we have to constantly bring our minds back to the present moment that's in front of us and give that our love, give it our attention with no expectation of return, which is what we do in the practice of meditation. But it's also what real life is really about. Look at sports people. They call it being in the zone. But it's really just paying attention to what's in front of you and giving it your most loving action. Musicians, artists, and all geniuses do the same. It's how they cheat time and enter into the present moment, which is timeless. Everything seems to slow down and you have all the time in the world. In doing this, you realize that you're actually totally alone in the process of living. There's just you and the present moment. No one else can either help you or hinder you as you go about your business. But in reality, you're, you're not alone. You're never alone because you're now united with all that is, with eternal truth and love, with the universe, with God. You're acting in concert with it all, and you are whole, safe, and saved. Which is why in that reading it says, the ancient masters slept without dreaming and woke without concerns. Their food was spare and simple, their breath went deep, they didn't hold on to life, and they faced death free of concepts, emerging without desire, going back without resistance. They never forgot their beginning. They didn't trouble their minds searching for what their end was. They received life as a gift and handed it back gratefully. Minds supple, faces serene, 
in a crisis cool as autumn, in relationship warm as spring. They were balanced throughout the four seasons and in harmony with the Tao. There was no limit to their freedom. Our journey towards resurgence, towards resurrection, towards Easter, is taken along that path. It is a way of being that takes us outside time and into the loving purposes of God. In fact, this way of being takes us into the experience of unity or non-duality that is the reality of all things. Because we're expressing love within the loving reality of the universe. And so we become fully connected with it and experience ourselves as one with it. It's where love and truth are one and undivided. Merton says that true spiritual life is neither a Dionysine orgy or an Apollyon celibate unity. It transcends both. It is a life of wisdom, of wisdom-generated love. He's, Merton says, in Sophia, the highest wisdom principle, all the greatness and majesty of the unknown that is in God and all that is rich and maternal in God's creation, both are united inseparably as paternal, maternal principles, the uncreated father and the created mother wisdom, one unity. Intellectual assent to this process opens up this realm of unity and our continually choosing love over fear, safety or salvation over survival, brings us to that place where all spiritual seekers are looking for, the experience of unified consciousness. We'll talk a little bit about that more next week, but be aware, it may not look and feel like it does in the books and films. There may not be a blinding light or an acid trip clarity. There may simply be an understanding that you're completely in the moment, outside time, and that you are in love with that which is right in front of you. It's about being in love with life and not waiting for the right moment to come our way. When you're in love, there's still pain and frustration, but you suck it up for the sake of the object of your love. And it's the same with life. So whenever you're given the choice, choose that love. Choose love over survival. Choose love over hate. Choose love over fear. Choose love over your clever plans. Choose love over your desire to win. Because however you look at it, love is what everyone is ultimately aiming for, whether they admit it or not. They want to be powerful, so they are loved. They want money, so they are loved. They want that car, so that they are loved. They want that relationship, so that they are loved. Whether they know it or not, Love is the goal of everyone and everything in all creation.
So why not drop all your plans and go for it now? Choose love whenever you're given the chance. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting, you know, this whole aspect of, of things. That, you know, when you think about going into 30 minutes of silent meditation, you think, oh, gosh, help, it's going to last forever. It's going to be completely, you know, I'm going to have to survive this and things like that. But really, actually, if one's able not to be in one's mind and one is able to be in one's heart, in one's breath, in the mantra or whatever it is, then actually it's a different game and you're just flowing in that. And, you know, the same does apply to life, you know, that the ability not to get caught up in all our thoughts and things like that, but actually to look at each moment that we have and to actually simply love what's in front of us in that particular moment. It's a totally freeing thing, I think. Yeah, um, like the problem is that our mind is, is so strategic and calculative and analytical and by its very nature can only perceive life and reality by, by dividing and, and, and it's kind of divisive, isn't it, in its very nature. Yeah. And so I, wanted, I was struck by your one, one word, harmony, and that something about um, perceiving from our heart that is qualitatively different to perceiving from our mind. And it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like hearing, like in terms of music, hearing a G and then also hearing a B and a D and you start to, you pick up a whole chord. And there's something about heart, heart seeing that's, um, that's just so expansive and can just read reality from a much more spacious, all-encompassing place and can, can read reality accurately rather than from our own lens of perception, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's, that's why, in meditation, why, you know, we're, we're asked to focus on our breath or focus on the mantra, whatever it is, because you're actually denying the mind that power. You're saying, no, I'm going to place my attention in my breath, in my mantra, in whatever it is, and therefore I'm not going to just pay attention to what my mind is saying. And therefore, when we're in life, it is that continual intellectual ascent to love that we have to, to do. You know, you might be doing something in a room, you might be swimming or whatever it is, and you suddenly find yourself miles away. But to bring it back and just love what is actually right in front of you just is such a freeing thing to do. And, and it, it's expansive, it's enjoyable, and it's something where, as you say, the heart is leading rather than the mind. This is why practices that bring, bring us into our heart are so important. And one thing I've noticed in recent years with me is um, that as I've become more committed to my practices, it's almost like I, I can feel a gravitational pull <laughs> into my heart. Yes. It's almost like feeling like a quivering... It's like a quiveringness inside my heart that's just like attentive, and um, and I, I trust that it's like a gravitational pull, and and so when you talk about um, loving twenty four seven, yeah, that that gravitational pull, that little quivering, whatever, is um, is is always there and accessible, and I think the more that we do the practices that bring us to that, and um, it becomes a habituated way of being and seeing, you know, we can trust that. Yeah, and that that's the purpose loving. of practice, isn't it? To actually cultivate that quivering, as you put it. So, 
so that we're less having to think about it and more that we're instinctively giving ourselves to that moment. Yeah, and then our hearts are able to, to perceive, to pick up. It, it, you know, we often think of our hearts as just sort of the seat of our emotions, but actually there's a massive intelligence to our heart yeah. that's about being able to see things objectively and accurately and all-encompassingly and lovingly, and uh, that's just very nuanced. And, but yet the mind always says, what am I going to get out of this? Well, you know, I'm going to do, okay, I'll be with you on this. I'll do my practice. I'm going to love everything that's in front of me, but what am I going to get out of this? You know, where's the bunts? And, and really, you have to, the mind has to remember that love is giving with no expectation of return. It's that loving in that moment that's actually the reward itself. Well, I like the, I like the phrase you've been using, intellectual ascent, because yeah. it's suggesting that we're, that we're using our, our whole being. We're, yes. we're, we're giving permission, we're telling our mind, you know, to cooperate with our heart and be in our heart. Yes, great. Yeah. Fantastic, thank you. And we're going to finish uh, um, with that wonderful hymn, uh, Be Thou My Vision, which really just sums up what we're saying, I think. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.